So I think the most troublesome days are ahead for the church, mm. and great days of opportunity are ahead for the church. But it's going to be a difficult situation for leadership mm. because you're going to have to stand against the tide. Welcome to the Shepherd Heart of Leader podcast, where we explore topics that help strengthen your ability to care for those under your leadership. In today's episode, Pastor Nate interviews the founding pastor, Pastor G. Mark Dennis. Now, this interview took place over a decade ago, and when Nate was coming in as a lead pastor, he wanted to get on record some of the things that Pastor Dennis thought and felt. This episode has never been released and very few people have seen it. So with special permission from his family, we're so excited for you to be able to lean in this conversation. Well, since I get to sit with one of the founding fathers, uh, the founding father of Emmanuel, but it will, I imagine what it would be like to sit with somebody in the year 70 AD or 100 AD, and Jesus is now gone, and you get to sit with one of the apostles, and you get to talk with them. One day we will. Oh, that's exactly right. I, I've thought about, you know, getting to sit. I've had the privilege of sitting with you and talking in your office. And these last few months, it's been different getting to talk with you than it was when I was on staff with you. And uh, and I was not sure if I was going to get fired or or if I was doing a good job. And different times, I was the fear of God was upon me. Now I have this sense coming in as the third senior pastor of Emmanuel that I am jumping into a church that is a God dream. And it's a it's a vision birthed in heaven that God had designed for such a time as this. And it's transitioned now through five decades and being able to step in um, to the fifth decade. Oh, my goodness, what an amazing journey. So it all had to start somewhere. So I thought, hey, let's ask some questions about what happened? How did we get where we are? And maybe a little bit of a, a glimmer or a peek into the future, if you were to look into the future for where we were going to sure. go. But how did Emmanuel start? What was our beginning point? Well, we were, uh, we being my wife and family, were living in Missouri, pastoring a little church of, on a good Sunday, 24 people. <laughs> and God started dealing with me about coming to Fridley, Minnesota, to pastor an Assembly God church. Two problems. I was not Assemblies of God, and there was not an Assemblies of God church in Fridley. But there are no problems to God. Mm. So in obedience, we moved up. My wife was about nine months pregnant with our youngest son, Timothy. And uh, so it was quite a jolt to her. New doctor, new hospital, new knew everything. But six, six weeks after we moved up here, the church started. Oh, really? So uh, it started the first uh, Mother's Day in May of 1963. No, that's, that was the first Sunday I preached, the first Sunday somebody else preached. And uh, that Sunday we moved into a school, mm. and by September we'd bought our own building. Wow. We, which in itself is a miracle. Wow. How old were you when you moved up here? Uh, 63. I was born in 30, so I'd be 32. You were a young buck. 
Once upon a time, I was. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and your wife, she must have had amazing courage. Was she mad at you? No. Oh, she wasn't. She was on board. If, if she was, she never showed it. That's amazing. That's amazing. She's an amazing wife. So that you came up as a family to a city that basically was a foreign country. I had a job. I was bivocational. Mm. I was a salesman for a biscuit company out of Chicago. And they uh, gave me St. Paul for a territory. Wow. So when, uh, I forget who it was, Jesse Ventura, I think, mm. our governor, said that St. Paul was laid out by drunk Irishmen. I could agree with him. <laughs> it was crazy. It's, it, the layout of St. Paul makes no sense. Yeah, yeah. So you worked a full-time job and pastored this church on top of that. Yep. And, f and then for how long did you work another job? I think we did that about three years. Wow. Wow. 63. Do you ever get tired? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> when did you have time to prepare sermons? Well, I did it on the run, I guess. Mm -hmm. God's, God's been good to me through the years. Sermon preparation has been the easiest thing I do. Hmm. I, I could... I could sit down this afternoon and bang out a sermon if I had a topic in my heart. Mm. And uh, I, I would do as you probably remember from being on staff. My door was usually open. Mm -hmm. And I'd be working on sermons and people would be coming in and out. And, and uh, I'd just keep working on sermons. I'd do, do with, deal with whatever that is that was on their heart wow. and go back to my sermon. Wow. So the fall of 1963, you said we moved into a school. September, yep. And uh, what school was that? Hayes Elementary down on Mississippi Street in wow. Fridley. And that's where the church really moved out of the basement of a house. Well, we were only in that house one Sunday. Oh, that was it? Yep, just okay. one Sunday. And then uh, how long were we at Hayes, do you remember? Hmm... No, I don't really, but it wasn't very long because we had, well, I do remember by September we had our own building. Mm. One Sunday in May, and then we're in Hayes Elementary School, mm -hmm. which was blown down in the tornado of 60, 50, uh, 66 mm. or 65. But by September, we were in our own building on 472 wow. Osborne Road. Wow. And that became the place that we then built... A couple yep. buildings? Three. Three buildings. Three buildings. Yeah. Built. Three. Counting the purchase of the original. Yeah. We were in three three building construction jobs. Wow. So the 1960s kind of flew by, I, I would guess, for you and your family. <laughs> yeah. the church, and we yeah. kind of grew, and then we hit the 1970s. And uh, the 1970s hit, and there was even more growth for the church. Mm-hmm. We grew by the hundreds, and uh, you also did more than Sunday morning preaching, right? You did Sunday evening, Sunday two evening. more two Sunday morning services, a Sunday evening service, and for s several years Wednesday night and uh, a Sunday school class. Wow! And then you did radio too at some point, did, right? Uh, radio and television. When did that start? When Fridley first got his cable. We decided to go on television. Mm. 
We knew nobody was watching, <laughs> but we wanted the experience. So you were an early sitting, adapter. Yeah, so that sitting in front of television cameras with microphones, all of the stuff that yeah. goes into that wouldn't scare us. Hmm. We'd be veterans, <laughs> if you will. Wow, that's pretty amazing that you had insight to think that far ahead. Yeah, well, this we, was good for we did on television what we called the pastor study. Hmm. And it was basically me sitting on a desk teaching. Hmm. Teaching wow. all kinds of stuff. Taught the book of Revelation, for example. Did you? Wow. I bet you've taught just about every book of the Bible, every verse of the Bible at some point. Cause... Uh, just about. <laughs> just about. It's amazing to me. I've got about, uh, I estimate, 5,000 sermons on file. Five. Thousand sermons. You see, when you stay in one church, Nate, for 43 years, as we did, uh -huh. you got to come up with new stuff every Sunday. Because if you don't, somebody sitting in there says, oh, yeah, I remember when you preached that six months ago or six years ago. <laughs> so I was always challenged to come up with new material. Mm. And I was never any good at reading somebody else's sermon. Yeah, it always You'd was Take an idea or two out of, from somebody else, of course. Yeah. But uh, all of my sermons are originals. I'll sell them to you. Good deal. <laughs> my funniest moment was, uh, I, I forget the setting, but I had taken a drink of water, and then I had switched glasses to an empty one. Oh. <laughs> and I walked down and was preaching to the front row and said, here, would you like a drink of water? <laughs> and everybody ducked. Everybody ducked. <laughs> it was empty, of course. You set them up. Yeah. <laughs> I got a feeling you've set up people for the punchline a few times while you were preaching. I, um, I'll admit to that. <laughs> <laughs> and you knew how to use humor, too, when you were preaching. Well, I, I see humor as, you know, they say it takes a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. And sometime when you've preached a little hard, maybe beat up some of the sinning saints, mm. you need to relax them with humor. And mm. most of my humor is just spur of the moment, just comes to me. And once in a while I'll pre-plan, but not very often. Mm. It's just sort of there. You're just a funny guy. <laughs> So uh, one of the things I remember is you would bring guests in once in a while. Mm -hmm. So um, you talked about the hunters in the, was it in the 70s? Yeah. And then I remember while I was on staff, you would bring in people like Rich Wilkerson or you brought in uh, the Argentine revival was going on mm -hmm. and key figures of the revival. I think at one point we had um, the Brownsville team um, yep. and re revivals taking place. Two or three times. Why would you bring people in? To keep my people at home. Mm. I figured they're going to go be attracted to these personalities mm -hmm. that are known throughout the nation. Mm. If I bring them to my pulpit, they're not going to run over to other churches to hear them. Mm. So I figured if we could produce, for example, uh, Christmas productions and Easter productions, mm -hmm and bring in these special speakers, mm -hmm. my sheep would stay home. And it worked pretty good. They did stay home, and they kept bringing their friends with them, too. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. We got no one as a church that would have a, these special speakers, these mm -hmm. nationally known men. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in a staff meeting, and um, 
it was either you or Shirley said, <clears throat> um, there are some things that we have gifts for as pastors. And sometimes we'll bring in an outside guest that has a gift that's different than ours. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do that very often or how often did you? I don't think I did it on a regular basis. I, I would do that. Bring in a man with a, perhaps a healing ministry or a mm-hmm. prophetic gift or whatever. And what was always frustrating to me, he would say exactly what I've been saying. Mm-hmm. And people would say, oh, isn't that wonderful? <laughs> I feel like saying, haven't you been listening? <laughs> but a new voice mm-hmm. saying the same thing that I as pastor was saying mm-hmm. simply reinforced the congregation that just maybe he knows what he's talking about. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's very true. After a while, when you preached every week, they were used to hearing you and yeah. they probably heard somebody new through different ears. I suppose that'll happen to me at some point. Absolutely. So The third Sunday you're here. <laughs> That's awesome. It's probably true. Because you're not new to, right. to, the, to many in the church. Mm-hmm. You're new, but you're not new. Mm-hmm. Now, there are a couple of phrases that became really big at our church over time, um, and uh, they may not be like monster big to the present congregation, but I remember a phrase that maybe you never spoke from the pulpit, but I saw on your wall. And uh, it was that plaque that said, think 10,000 people. <laughs> uh, what's the history of that? Well, when we began planning the building we have now that seats 3,000 I sensed God saying, build for 10,000, which to me was three services on the weekend, 3,000 in the sanctuary, plus 1,000 little kids running around. Mm -hmm. Because in three services, that wouldn't be hard to get. (laughs) And uh, so I started talking about 10,000 people. Mm. At that particular time, I think we had less than 500. And unbeknownst to me, you know, I'm just all pumped up what God has said. I had the silly idea that if God said it, it's going to happen. But unbeknownst to me, some people just quietly left the church. They couldn't handle the dream. Mm. But uh, now we're not to the 10,000 yet, but we're probably halfway there. Mm -hmm. You'll make it. (laughs) When... when, uh... When people left, did it change who you shared your dreams with? Mm-mm. No, because I didn't know they were laughing. I didn't know they were not believing it. I, I was in my own little world, I guess, mm-hmm. <laughs> or God was protecting me, one of the two. Hmm. The, uh, I mean, that's a powerful moment because I remember seeing that plaque on the wall and like literally every time I would walk in your office, I'd hit it. <laughs> Like the Notre Dame football players do before they hit the field, they hit the play like a champion today sign out that's in the stadium. I kind of hit that as the thing that I would walk in. It was just kind of the thing I did. I'll give it to you. Okay. I'll take it. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that I wonder is when that vision was given to you, was that given to you or was it given to Emmanuel? I mean, was it something that was a call from God for our church as a whole, you think? I thought that everything God gave me was for the for Emmanuel, mm-hmm. that I was just the the voice, if mm-hmm. you will, mm-hmm. 
and what God spoke to me was for the church. I marveled one time, I was with a bunch of preachers, mm. and they were just about all griping because they were saying, every dream I have, my board shoots down. Mm. These were good men, mm. godly men. And I thought, hmm, I haven't had any dreams shot down. So I began to explore in my mind a little later, how come? Because mm. I'm not that smart. You know, these guys were, were good men. Mm-hmm. But then the Lord began to take me back over what, how he had led me. Mm. I didn't take my dreams to the board. Mm. I didn't know you should. <laughs> <laughs> my background is not a seminary. Mm. I have not been to... Bible college or seminary or anything to be trained Mm -hmm. to be a preacher. So I didn't know how to be a preacher. I didn't know how to lead a church. Mm. My dad was a pastor, but he always pastored little bitty country churches. I realized as a God sort of reviewed in my mind what I'd done. Mm. Instead of taking the dream to the board, I took to the congregation on a Sunday morning. (laughs) And I just began to say to them, you know, I think God wants us to do so-and-so. And And I just let let it lie there. And I'd come back in a couple of weeks. I think God wants us to do so-and-so. God still wants us to do so-and-so. And by the time we got to thinking or talking about it at a board level, the congregation was all pumped up to do so-and-so. Mm. And the board was afraid if they got in the way, they'd get run over. <laughs> so I thought, well, it's working pretty good. I'll just keep doing it. <laughs> in fact, the last, I think it was the last two maybe three, at least the last two building projects, and one of them a multi-million dollar project, was voted through without discussion, unanimously. That never happens in an Assembly God church. <laughs> I remember those. Yeah, sure you would. Oh, my goodness. All right, there was a statement that uh, would be said. Actually, I heard a lot more from Shirley when we were in staff, but a part of the heart of Emmanuel was to reach those that were hiding. And what was the, what was that statement? The Lord spoke to me and said, I want you to reach those that are hiding and hurting, hiding behind closed drapes and doors, mm. and they're hurting, they're sick, they're lonely, they're frightened, they need help. Mm. A church is supposed to be a hospital. Mm. It isn't a country club. Mm. And one of the reasons the church brings in what society would call undesirables Mm. is that's the crowd Jesus Mm. uh, fellowshiped with. I mean, prostitutes and tax collectors, you know the list. Well, it's easier to reach the down and outer than it is the up and outer. Mm. And I just sensed and I shared with the congregation This is God's call on our church to reach the sighing, the crying, the hurting, those hiding behind closed drapes. Hmm. They think nobody wants them, nobody likes them, nobody loves them. Hmm. That's why they're hiding Hmm. and they're hurting. Hmm. And we uh, started reaching out to them and it was amazing how many times when I would share that from the pulpit, as I did occasionally, somebody would come to my wife and say, we're one of those. We're one of those. And it was just uh, reaffirming that we were doing what God called us Mm -hmm. to do. My wife, uh, when she came at one point to Emmanuel, her and her twin sister, 
And, uh, and here I thought you came because of my good preaching. <laughs> <laughs> it was really a cute check. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and uh, she came as a young adult who um, had been in a couple different church situations but found herself outside of church. And uh, she had been in places where they would preach different parts of the gospel in different ways. Some mm-hmm. they were a little bit manipulative. And, and she says to this day that she would come on Sunday morning and she'd hear you preach and she'd have tears running down her face because she felt that she was safe and she found for the first time what that scripture really meant. And uh, I would say that there are thousands of people that came to Emmanuel that had different points of hurt and lostness mm-hmm. that came and they found their place uh, under your preaching. And I would assume you have heard a lot of those stories from people. One of my core beliefs about a church is it should be the safest place in town for you to come with all your hangups and hurts and problems and not be rejected, mm. but be helped. Mm. It should be. Mm. It isn't always. But it makes me mad when I hear of churches that kick people out because of whatever. We're not supposed to kick them out. We're supposed to embrace them. Mm. And we've tried to do that at Emmanuel. I think you even did that with staff over time. Yeah. You know, there are some of us the incorrigibles that, at least when we were younger and unrefined, <laughs> there was a safe place to make mistakes. When it came to staff, I had a a prayer I would pray when I had a a difficult staff member. I would pray, Lord, change hearts or move bodies. Mm. And he would do it. Take time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a lot easier and quicker to just fire them. Mm. But that's, that's brutal. Mm-hmm. That can just destroy a person. But if God moves them on and they don't know that I've been praying that way, <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's easier in the long run. Well, I'm thankful as far as I know you never prayed me out. But <laughs> No, I didn't. In fact, I prayed you in. <laughs> and, and, and I'm still in, yeah. coming back in. Yes. Uh, but I have some fun memories of trying to figure out how to tell you uh, what I had done as a youth pastor. One time we did a missions trip and we had a trailer we rented on one of the church vans. Got everybody unloaded after the trip was done, and I needed to return the rental up the street. And uh, somehow the hitch didn't get put on and tightened down. And I'm driving, and I look up in the rearview mirror, and the tongue of the trailer is going up. (laughs) And I'm trying to think about how do I slow down without that thing jamming the back of the van. And, of course, I slowed down as much as I could, but it still hit the back of the van. And. I remember trying to tell you about how, how am I going to tell my boss that this <laughs> happened? I was the assistant youth pastor at the time. And uh, you said, well, I'm just glad you're okay. <laughs> Don't do it again. <laughs> uh, I remember another time when uh, I was up at Lake Geneva and I was uh, backing up in the church van and they had a, a tree right in the middle of the road. <laughs> I remember that tree. And I sat right outside the office. And, and, and I hit that tree right in between where the, the windows and the doors come together and there's no window. Boom, I hit that thing and there's a dent in the back of the van. And, and that was uh, the next five years on staff. You, every time I go out in the car, you would say, 
Don't hit any trees or watch out for those trees. (laughs) So Love did keep a record of wrong at one point. or um, uh, You had an ability to let people make mistakes around you on staff and grow up. Why is that? Well, I'm persuaded the only person who doesn't make a mistake is the person not doing anything. Mm. I mean, I won't even tell you the mistakes I've made. And you try something and it works or it doesn't work. Mm. Well, if it doesn't work, drop it and do something else. But mm. keep trying. Mm. And it's uh, it's not a sin to make a mistake. I get a little disgusted when I hear people asking Jesus to forgive them for making a mistake. He didn't die for mistakes. He died for sins. Mm. And so make mistakes. You'll grow up. Just don't make the same one ten times. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, thinking ahead, obviously you've spent the greater part of your adult life praying for Emmanuel, mm-hmm. and you're still praying for Emmanuel. And as you look into our future, and many people that are now a part of the church that weren't here when I was on staff, and some historical members that have been here and committed and faithful for many, many years, I think our best days could be ahead of us. And uh, as you look forward... What do you see in our future? Well, I'm troubled by not just our future as a church, Mm. but our future as a nation. Mm. We are endorsing sinful behavior. And it will probably get worse. Mm. And at some point, there will be a tipping point where the wrath and judgment of God begins to fall. I, for the first time, wrote our Christmas letter. I don't know whether you got one or not. I closed it by saying something to the effect of, be sure to keep looking up Mm. because there's a rider on a white horse coming. Mm. His robe is dipped in blood. He has a sword in his hand, and he's angry. Mm. The book of Revelation says there's fire in his eyes. And that's the picture I get of Jesus today, not a baby in a manger, Mm. but a rider on a white horse. Mm. And how this all dovetails together. And I know some people are predicting, claiming to prophesy a great revival, a third awakening for America. I hope so. Mm. But the trends I see uh, lead me to believe that we're rather closer to judgment than we are to mercy. Hmm. And judgment will do one of two things. It'll drive people to the Lord or away from the Lord. Hmm. Uh, 9-11. The churches were full the Sunday after 9-11. And they stayed that way for four or five, six weeks. And pretty soon people adjusted to this new climate of fear and terrorism and They went back to their old habits. That's not surprising because the book of Revelation tells us that when God's judgments fall, the people get angry at God and they don't repent. Hmm. So I think the most troublesome days are ahead for the church Hmm. and great days of opportunity are ahead for the church. But it's going to be a difficult situation for leadership. Hmm. Because 
you're going to have to stand against the tide. Hmm. As a leader in, in, in the church, you're going to have to stand for holiness to a generation that doesn't want to hear about holiness. Hmm. They, they will ridicule you and crucify you if they could. So the church's responsibility is to be true to the Word of God, hmm. regardless of what people like about it. Hmm. That was one of my goals. And I used to tell my people, I'm not here to please you. Hmm. I'm here to please God. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully I did that along the way, maybe pleased a few people. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But there are great days ahead, no question about it. But they'll be filled with great peril. Hmm. We'll stay on that theme a little bit as you think forward to what the culture around the church is going through and the changes it will force on the church. And we'll have to stay focused. And one of your things uh, that you talked about every single year that I can remember was the importance of both reading the Bible and praying. Praying. Mm-hmm. And um, how do those two things work together when it comes to living out what you just talked about? Well, you can't live out the Bible if you don't know the Bible. Mm. I don't know how to fly a jet aircraft. Mm. I'd be lost in the cockpit. Mm. But I do know how to live godly in Christ Jesus because I've read the Bible. Mm. And I often told the people, as I challenged them to read the Bible through every year, that it's amazing how much stuff God adds every year. (laughs) I've got a great memory. It's just awfully short. Mm. And it's, uh, once again, I'm reading the Bible through, and I'm back in Genesis. And and it's amazing the things that, oh, yeah, I remember that, but I'd forgot that. It's a a book that is timeless. Mm. And the reason it's fresh and new, I think, each year is because we're at a different position, different place in our life's journey. Mm. We're experiencing different things and therefore different scriptures apply Mm. to us personally. Mm -hmm. My wife had an interesting comment when I told her as young bride and groom that I was going to be a pastor And she said, in effect, I'll go any place you want me to do. I'll do whatever I need to do as long as you live it at home. Mm. So I was compelled to live what I preached. (laughs) And before I preached it, the Holy Spirit ran it through my life. Mm. I don't think I ever asked the congregation to do something I wasn't willing to do. Mm. Whether it was giving or praying or reading or whatever. Wow. And on the prayer side of things, you really made prayer a big focus of our church. I remember mm-hmm. as a young staff member, we were all assigned a different day of the week to do morning prayer from 6 to 8 in the morning. And back then, I wasn't sure that at 6 in the morning if God was up yet or not. <laughs> but <laughs> it had a, a real foundational uh, importance to me in my ministry as I've thought about how I go about things in prayer. Uh, have you always been that focused on prayer? Or are there different moments where prayer emphasis became even more central to what we did here? I've tried to remember how it was we started the, the morning prayer. Mm. But back in the 70s, there was a sort of a nationwide move where people were coming to churches to pray. Mm. And some churches would have long lineups of cars 
people mm-hmm. trying to get in to pray. And so I sort of plugged into that, and only I kept it going, even though there's times be only maybe three or four or a dozen. Mm-hmm. Um, I kept I kept at it, and we're still at it. Mm-hmm. We're still praying, and it's. Uh, you, you, we have to do more than talk about praying and reading the Bible. We've got to do it. Mm. And praying keeps me in touch with God. Mm. Because I've learned, as any prayer will, that part of praying is listening. Mm. And once in a while, i got to shut up and listen to God. So true. And that's a hard thing to do. Uh, because how do you know it's God? How do you know it's your own imagination, your own wants, your own desires? Mm. Or how do you know it's not the devil? Mm. Well, that's you got to wade through. That's part of the joy yeah. of, of the walk of faith. Oh. Hmm. Well, um, I'm going to be preaching on altar this uh, Sunday and uh, the ancient rhythm of going to altars to sacrifice the Old Testament, it was mm-hmm. very formal, and uh, there was very specific instructions for how to kill animals and who gets to offer them and all of that. Um, and then in the New Testament, it shifts over because Jesus becomes our sacrifice, but we still have altars in our lives. Prayer seems to me to be absolutely essential to keeping ourselves spiritually connected to God. Uh, how did you keep an altar in your life? I just did it by sheer discipline. Mm. Just You just do it. Mm-hmm. You just do it. I think one thing that helped me was to make a public commitment. Mm. You know, you stand up before several hundred or several thousand people and say, I'm going to be in this sanctuary praying two hours every morning. You better be there. <laughs> <laughs> or you're a liar. Well, <laughs> and well. it's... Uh, one of the best ways to resist sin is to do it publicly. Hmm. And I think one of the best ways to keep a commitment to God is to make that commitment public. Hmm. That's so good. Some commitments, of course, you don't want to make public. It's nobody's business between you and God, but hmm. there are commitments. Your, uh, the other plaque that you had was a million dollars to missions. Yes. That was one of those things that you would call upon the church to make a missions commitment every year. Um, where, what's, where did that come from? Well, I, I would like to say it came from God. It may came from my ego. I don't know. But uh, this has always been a missions-giving church. Mm-hmm. Back in 1963, when, when we started, the district of the Assemblies of God offered us $1,000, which is a lot of money in 1963. Mm-hmm. We turned it down. We said, no, we're going to make it God and us, or we're not going to make it. Mm. And we have always given the missions. I mean, give us a few months to get going, and you know, mm-hmm. because when you start a church, you don't even have a pencil. <laughs> so we had to buy everything, of course, as we went along. But once we got established, I forget how much we gave the first year, but we've always given the missions. Mm. And every congregation, every year, needs to be challenged to give to missions because hopefully. There's new people in that congregation every year. Mm-hmm. And there's people coming in that have never heard of giving to missions. Mm. And what is missions? Mm. They, they don't know. They're unchurched, hopefully, because mm-hmm. they make good church members once you get them trained. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's an attainable goal. 
at one point, I think we reached three quarters of a million. Mm-hmm. While I was still senior pastor, I don't know where we're at now. Mm. What's the heartbeat for the world? Mm-hmm. We have a heartbeat for the world from yeah. here, don't we? Yeah. You have to have a heart and a mind mm-hmm. for the Lord. Mm-hmm. The heart is just the emotions, but the mind actually does it. Mm. I remember when when uh, Dwight got going on his project altar mm-hmm. and needed X number of dollars. My wife and I talked about it and we thought, ah, through the years we've given thousands and thousands of dollars to building projects and building programs. And I thought maybe I'd sit this one out. Mm. And Dwight came and asked me <laughs> what we're doing. And I said, oh, we haven't decided yet. And I talked to my wife, and she said, well, honey, this may be the last chance we have of giving something significant Mm. to the Lord's work. And uh, I think we should give $5,000. And I thought, you're a crazy woman. And then she said, each. Ooh. (laughs) Double crazy, right? (laughs) And... uh, I've learned that she hears from God like I do. Mm. And as I prayed about it, I thought, yeah, we can give $10,000 for this altar project, mm. which we did. And it probably will be the last mm. big gift we'll give to the church for something like that. Mm. Oh, I, gotta, I might ask you for some more opportunities. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> it could happen. No, 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 no. <laughs> this is like the ground that I get to stand on, right? The shoulders mm-hmm. I'm standing on. Um, well, you, as you moved your family from Missouri up to Minneapolis, St. Paul area here, and kind of landed in Spring Lake Park for Lee, um, your kids grew up in this church. You had grandkids. Mm-hmm. And uh, family's a big part of your life. Um, just looking back, uh, any advice for me as I think about raising my family and in the ministry? I never pressured any of my kids to follow me. Dad was a United Church of Canada pastor, which is the same as Methodist down here. He never pressured me to be a pastor. Mm. So I just encourage them to be whatever God wants them to be. That's what they're going to be the happiest at and the best at. Mm. If God calls them to be a painter, Mm -hmm. I mean, painting houses Mm -hmm. or an artist, (laughs) either one, they're going to be far happier doing that than being a missionary that God didn't call them to do. I think one of the problems we have in a lot of churches is there's guys leading the church that God never called them to lead the church. Mm. If God calls you to lead the church, if God calls you to be the pastor the way he's called you, then it's not going to be easy, Mm. but it's going to be doable. Mm. And when the hard time has come, you can lean back in your chair and you can say, God, this was your idea. Mm. You got to help me. Mm. I surprised you, I think, a few Sundays ago when 
the first service didn't go quite. Yeah. I've been there, done that. <laughs> and you said, asked me, what what do I do? And I, well, what did you do? And I, I'd say, well, I'd go to my office and I'd say, help, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and he did. And he did. He still does. Yeah. Oh. Um, I, I feel like I'm blessed to have watched you as a leader. Um, well, thank you. And uh, to be... To be uh, one who was on staff under one of the greats in my mind, and I think about people that are faithful, and and, um, and I've been blessed to watch each of your kids. They they truly are people of integrity, and, mm-hmm. and then to watch what God has done, and I I hope that I'm blessed the same way to see my kids follow after the Lord. And I don't mean they're not going to make mistakes or anything like that, but um, I, I feel honored. One of the things that you said to me when I was probably 24 or 25 years old, we were about to go on TV as the youth ministry was going on, and it wasn't my choice. You remember that? (laughs) Yeah. You came to me and said, we need to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. We went to Buffalo Wild Wings down in Columbia Heights, and you took Scott Fitton, my assistant youth pastor, and I out. You said, okay, we're going to be, you're going to be on TV. And I said, wait a second, do I get a choice in this? And you said, no. <laughs> and uh, I think at that time, the the uh, federal law de- required having children and youth programming on networks a certain number of hours. And, and, uh, and because Sanctuary was where the youth group met, and you already had cameras in there for Sunday morning, it meant that. Uh, we were just going to have to do it because we got free opportunity on airtime. So now we had a youth program. And you gave me three words, gave Scott and I three words, because you were concerned about these young bucks who are now going to be exposed to a whole new world of other people knowing about what we did. And, and some of that's real positive, and we got a lot of pats on the back. But then there are also people that weren't so excited about us being on TV and the like. And you told us that we needed to stay holy, hungry, and humble. Uh, what did, can you unpack those three words a little bit for me? What were they again? Holy, hungry, and humble. Well, I think that's the key to a Christian life, mm. period. Um, I'm a people watcher. Mm-hmm. I, I, I despise arrogant politicians. Mm. And we got a nation full of them. Mm. They're just arrogant. I also despise arrogant preachers, mm. and we got a few of them around. <laughs> it's uh, it isn't what I do; it's what I allow Jesus to do. Mm. I've been asked by pastors how I built this church. Mm. They don't want to hear it mm. because they're looking for some kind of a formula. Mm. My response is, I prayed. I felt I had a word from the Lord. I went and did it. Mm. In other words, as Dr. Cho from Souls Korea would say, I prayed, I obeyed. Pretty simple. Mm. That, that take, uh, and the holiness part, that takes care of humility. <laughs> right. The holiness part of it is your lifestyle. Mm. You've got to, and it's a battle. It's a battle. I know all the scriptures that, talk about being made the righteousness of Jesus. 
but sometimes I don't feel like the righteousness of mm. Jesus. But that's what we rely on. We rely on what he has done for us, mm. not what we're doing for him. Mm. He doesn't need us. Mm. Well, he does, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. We desperately need him. Mm. And as far as staying hungry, that should be easy. Look around the world. Mm. See the people that don't know Jesus. Mm. See them in their despair and their confusion. And see them when they're sighing and crying and hurting and Mm. hiding. And you'll get hungry for the power of God to be able to step in Mm. to their lives and bring deliverance. Mm. That's so good. I've actually carried that as part of... The bowling lane, things that go up, uh, the barriers that go up when you want to go bowling. If you got kitty kids and they keep the ball in the lanes, um, those those boundaries are things that you gave to me as a young preacher mm-hmm. that I've kept to this day because it's kind of like never get outside of the holy, hungry, and humble. You never never ever get outside of that. So um, that's that's powerful stuff. Well, see, I think people, when they come to church, they want to hear from God. Mm. And if they don't hear from God, I don't blame them if they don't come back. Mm. And it's up to the preacher. I remember one lady said, uh, she sat on the second row, and she told one of our ladies, she was a visitor, she said, well, I'm not coming back to this church. All he does is talk about the Bible and Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the finest compliments I've ever received. (laughs) I said to the lady who told me, well, I thought that was my job description. (laughs) If people want to know about the Reader's Digest, they can go get one. Oh. Mm. And that's, they come to church to hear hear about God. That's why your old line, as I call them, denominations are shrinking and dying. Mm. They're not delivering like they used to. Did you have any disappointments? Probably hiring the wrong people. Mm. I had one guy on staff I put up with for seven years that I should have fired in the first year. But if you fire somebody, you can damage them for life. Mm. And I realized that how I treated my staff would be how my staff treated me. Mm. You know, do unto others kind of thing. So it, uh, I don't think I've had too many disappointments what do you think the greatest challenge is for a pastor? To be holy, hungry, and humble. Because <laughs> you are, your congregation wants to put you on a pedestal. And I would deliberately do what I thought would be unpastoral things mm. to climb off that stupid pedestal. Because mm. I didn't want to be on a pedestal. Uh, back in the 60s and 70s, and I don't know about the 80s, but back then, in, in as I understand it, in Bible college and seminars, uh, they taught pe- the, the young men coming up to be pastors to be distant from their congregation. Hmm. You can't have friends among the congregation. And I thought, that's stupid. These are supposed to be my sheep. I'm supposed to be able to pick them up and carry them in my arms if they need it. Hmm. And that never worked for me. We had friends in the congregation. Got one or two left. <laughs> You've given Nate a few good pieces of advice over the years, it sounds like. 
Mm-hmm. What is the piece of advice that you would give him in this time as he's about to assume leadership? I have on my Bose stereo in my office, maybe you've seen it, a plowshare mm. that my wife gave me because she engraved it with one of my many favorite verses. Mm. And it says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom. Mm. Keep focused ahead. Mm. There will always be nay- naysayers telling you you can't do it. It's never been done this way. It won't work. If God tells you to do something, just keep your eye on him and go do it. Mm. Prove them wrong. Yes, sir. I won't give you that. <laughs> <laughs> Larry Bach, our fine arts yeah, dean at sure. North Central, pulled me aside a couple weeks ago, and he said, um, Nate, we were talking about me coming to Emmanuel and stuff, and he said, over the decades, because he's been at North Central since the 80s, no, the 70s. Yeah. He said, over the decades, the most progressive church with technology has been Emmanuel. Mm-hmm. He said, we were always buying TV equipment before anybody else did, and the sound systems in the sanctuary and the like. Why did, why did you do that? Well, I, I wanted to keep abreast of what the world was doing. I think the church ought to be able to do, in technology, what the world is doing and doing it better. Hmm. I'm not trying to outdo Hollywood, but I want our equipment to be as good as possible, as good as we can afford, Hmm. whether it's TV cameras or sound systems or what it is. uh, I don't think God's work should be second second grade. And consequently, I don't think what I preach from behind the pulpit should be second grade. Hmm. I need to prepare. Hmm. I need to know what I'm going to say and say it with excellence, if possible. And I would say you did about, what, 5,000 times? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I probably got a couple that should never have been preached. (laughs) I won't tell you which ones they are. So, but you're still going to try to sell them to me. <laughs> I give you a bargain price. Yeah. <laughs> uh, would you do me a favor? Um, because this will be something later on that I'll, I'll pull out to uh, watch and remember what you are speaking to me when I can't walk down the hallway and knock you on the on the door. Um, could you pray for Emmanuel? Could I pray for you? Pray for Emmanuel. Oh, yes. I know you have. We have. Um, Could you do it right now? I'll pray with you. Because I'm I'm like, I'm the baton. Uh, Obviously, Pastor Dwight is is part of this process. He wasn't able to be here for today, but it would be as if the three of us. I want you to pray for me because, as you know, I've got leukemia, a uh, immune system that's on strike. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife suggested I get the little bottle of oil and have Pastor Nate pray for me. Oh, that's a good idea. So we'll pray for each other. Wow, what an amazing opportunity. I cannot believe that that interview happened over a decade ago. Brought tears to my eyes. Wow, we can like look 
look at the past and know how faithful God was in the past and how God is still faithful in the future. And as we turn the page into this new year, we can be confident that the Lord is with us. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like and subscribe and share with your friends. Until next time, keep leading well.